For the sixth gift of infant Christmas an infant gave to me a rebirthed minisode from 2015 called The Ghost of Christmas Past. Hi everyone, this is Heather, and before we go any further, I feel I should mention that Messiah performance with the organist on crack in the intro was definitely not my choir. Last Sunday, I sang at a big, multi-denominational Christmas concert at our stake center. This is the third year my stake has hosted a two-hour, well-attended Christmas shindig with full-on applause in the chapel. It was wild. There were an impressive number of Christian denominations represented, probably ten, including us Mormons. Angels we have heard on high It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas I'm a classically trained singer, so I sang with a classically trained baritone, a classical version of Angels We Have Heard on High, in French. It was very classical, and French, and elegant, and classical, with high notes and coloratura. And then I sat down to a smorgasbord of ecumenical delight. There were bagpipes, a flute corps, various vocal ensembles, this horrid, jazzy, euphonium version of that horrid Mary Did You Know song. Blech. At one point, one denomination had us all singing a Christmas version of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. It was so fun, and like I said, it was wild and totally unmormon. For me, the most memorable act of the night, I think, had to be this Methodist congregation's offering. I think that was the Methodists. I, I didn't keep my program. Anyway, a young lady with this very nice voice was singing Amy Grant's Christmas pop song, Breath of Heaven, which is fine, whatever. And, well, I mean, it's kind of a creepy song to me because Breath of Heaven is like the Holy Ghost and it kind of sounds like a suggestive plea from Mary to the Holy Spirit that overcame her, if you know what I mean. But now that I've ruined that song for you, in case it wasn't already ruined, let me come to the point. On the stand, next to the podium where this girl was singing so nicely, the female pastor of the congregation was signing the words. And not just signing. She was lip-syncing along. Her eyes were closed most of the time because she was so into the music. And she was signing super dramatically and rhythmically. And 
using the full range of motion of her arms. So it was basically an interpretive dance. By the It was so cheesy. It was probably the cheesiest thing I have ever seen. It was superlatively cheesy, Bob. It was Napoleon Dynamite's Gorgonzola sandwich with melted pepper jack, Parmesan, Velveeta, and cheese Whiz. It was that cheesy. And from the minute she started, I was having trouble not laughing. I was on the front row and she was right in front of me with this kind of a bulldog face and her eyes closed most of the time and she's lip syncing, she's just gesticulating and I'm just telling myself, close your eyes, Heather. You can't watch her or you're going to laugh out loud. Do not laugh. But I couldn't not watch her. And while I was watching this very strange thing, something very strange happened. At some point, I stopped comparing what I was seeing to anything I've seen before and just saw it for what it was. And what it was was absolutely beautiful. It was mesmerizing. Without any inhibitions, this pastor was totally committed to conveying a familiar aspect of the human condition, this longing that reaches out to be loved and cared for and to be saved, if only for a moment, from life's disappointments and sorrows. Something clicked in me that switched me over from stifling my laughter to swiping away a tear. It was magical. So far, this has been a great Christmas season. I love Christmas. I don't want you to think that I'm one of those weirdos who listens to Christmas music in July or anything. So I usually won't even start queuing up the Christmas music until September, or sometimes August, but when I do, I will listen to everything, from Bach's Christmas Oratorio to Boys to Men's incomparable version of Silent Night. Yeah, I love Christmas. But last Christmas sucked. It was my first Christmas as a full-fledged non-believer, and I felt nothing. I had thought Christmas would still be great because Santa and presents and I have kids. And As a parent, I'm fully on board with Santa. Santa, the Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, Nature Fairies, the works. While my eight-year-old daughter and four-year-old twin boys are still in the age of magical thinking, where their brains produce dreams in which they can fly, I believe their skies ought to be filled with flying reindeer and rainbow fairies painting the vault of heaven. That kind of thing makes childhood magical. It spurs creativity and creates memories that sustain you your whole life long. So you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming to town. A friend and I were recently talking about whether or not we want to teach our kids to believe in God. 
I tell my kids there's a Santa who loves them and brings them presents because they're so great. Why shouldn't I want them to believe there's a loving, caring someone watching over them and listening to their thoughts? What's the difference? It's a benevolent fiction, right? For me, the issue is simple. The former, all those fairies and magical beings, are lies of impersonation. Ho, ho, ho. As a parent, as the mommy, I can make good on the Santa promises. If I say the tooth fairy will bring you a present for your tooth, you better believe there will be a present and a note in tiny handwriting from my daughter's personal tooth fairy, Anna Belinda. And if I say fairies are real and my daughter sets up her toy castle for them to play with, I can sneak in when she's asleep and move everything around just so. But I can't make good on the God promises. If I tell my children God will look out for them if they only have enough faith, well, I'm setting them up at best for disappointment and frustration, and at worst for devastation and self-loathing, when a seemingly ever more capricious and inscrutable God does nothing to heal their broken hearts and bruised bodies. But Santa? That's magic mom can perform. Santa is straw I can spin into gold. So why, even with three little kids and Santa, was last year so utterly hollow and devoid of magic? Mama told me, boy, you best behave. Cause Santa keeps a list of all his faves. And if you don't shape up, you ain't getting squat. I still sang the alto solos and multiple Messiah performances. I did my Oh Holy Night duties. I prepared my ward choir for a great Christmas program. But while it was going on, I couldn't wait for it to be over. I even, honestly, screwed up my Santa duties by not realizing that the main presence, battery-operated convertibles to utilize the yard we finally have, weren't going to arrive until the Monday after Christmas. Fail. Why was I not on top of it? I just didn't care. I couldn't get it up for Christmas at all. And it was hard to watch everyone around me frozen in this posture of reverence like porcelain pieces of a nativity set anxiously training their gaze on an empty manger. It's just a pile of dirty hay, I wanted to yell. Or not yell. Maybe just say. Maybe just whisper. Maybe just think to myself with a slow, wonderless blink. The whole experience reminded me of a poem by Linda Gregg called Adult, about the inability to reclaim one's childhood fervor. Part of it says, I've come back to the country where I was happy, changed. Passion puts no terrible strain on me now. I could be the ghost of my own life returning to the places I lived best, walking here and there, nodding when I see something I cared for deeply. That was me last Christmas, the ghost of my own life, the ghost of Christmas's past, never to come again to the empty manger. I showed up, I sang, I conducted. 
But the biggest part of me watched from the sidelines, silent and unmoved. I wondered if Christmas was ruined for me forever. A couple of months later, I went to a reunion of the Harvard University Choir. That's the choir that I sang in for the non-denominational services in Harvard Yard for four glorious years as an undergrad. And it wasn't just the Sunday services I sang for, but morning prayers four times a week before classes. We sang Thursday even songs, Easter vigil, and the enormously popular lessons and carols service at Christmas, which were some of the best musical and spiritual experiences of my life. I was so happy to see everyone at the reunion, but especially one of my favorite friends, Jerzy Hlavich, who is Slovakian, so we'll call him George. George is one of those people whose countenance shines with the pure light of Christ. He draws you to him like a magnet. You feel like a better person around him. You feel like the best, most lovable, coolest version of yourself. He's kind and generous and thoughtful and hilarious and snarky. He's intoxicating. He's the kind of person I want to be when I grow up. He's also gayer than the volleyball scene in Top Gun. And has been an atheist since his early teens. I don't believe in God. I believe in science. I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. George and I were thick as thieves in choir. And we were thick as thieves at this reunion. Inseparable. George loves sacred music. After he graduated and went to work for Microsoft, he started going to an Anglican church in Seattle for the music. And he eventually even joined the choir so he could sing all the wonderful services in the Anglican liturgical calendar. I wondered how someone who has no positive belief in deity because I only believe in science can still get so much out of sacred music. It's just a fact of human history that the best music happens to be religious, he once told me. As I sat there with George looking around our reunion table, I realized over half the people there were atheists. And most of them had been even in college, and I knew that then. Yet they sang every week, and some of them even sang every day for these Christian services. And here we all were, flying in from the four corners of the globe to hang out and sing sacred music together with so much passion and delight. Because we love the communal act of choral singing. And we realize that the most important religious truths and beauties aren't religious at all. They're human. This year, I'm neither in crisis nor in shock, and Christmas is back for me. The first time I walked into Home Depot this year and saw the Christmas trees up, that familiar wave of sweet nostalgia and expectation washed over me. I felt a stab of joy that stopped me in my tracks and instantly stung my eyes with tears. It's back. The magic is back. And this whole season, it really has been. This year, 
is especially poignant for me because I realize that it might be the last year I conduct a Mormon choir for Christmas. Any week now, the church may label me a suppressive person and decide it's better off without me, or that I'm unfit to conduct its choir. I've been a choir director in the church many times, and I have both given and received so much from the people I've worked with and the congregations we've performed for every time I've held this calling. I won't scruple to admit that I'm darn good at it. I can teach a ragtag, volunteer, congregational choir how to sing, how to sing together, and how to sing with style. And I love it. I love challenging my choir with hard music, with a cappella stuff, outside their experience, with stuff from the Anglican canon they've never even heard of, the kind of stuff I have to fight the local censors to let into the program. And usually I win. Occasionally I'll even throw in something in Latin or with a tambourine or any of that kind of stuff that would make Elder Packer's ears bleed. I kind of like that visual. If and when I lose this calling, part of me thinks it'll be their loss. But it will be my loss too. A loss that I will mourn in sackcloth and ashes. Because it'll leave a gaping hole that I'll have to fill by some other means of connecting with and elevating people. In case this is my last one, I'm giving it my all for this year's Christmas program. My choir is doing killer music. We're well prepared. This is a good one to go out on. One that I can sign my name to and be proud of, if that's what happens. And I have been so energized and elevated by each of our rehearsals. And frankly, it's really put me in the Christmas spirit. Most of the music that you've been hearing for a little while now is by the Stanford Institute Choir, which I conducted when I was in law school. I want to leave you with our recording of one of my favorite Christmas carols. It's a carol that I found when I was on my mission in Ukraine. I believe it was written by Bortnyansky, though I couldn't even be sure of that. Anyway, I translated it into English and I've had every Mormon choir I've conducted sing it for at least one Christmas service since I brought it back from Ukraine years ago. It's about Jesus, surprise, surprise. And I'm sure very many of you aren't really Jesus believers. But I hope that no matter what the status of your belief this Christmas, you can appreciate this particular carol the way that I appreciated that total cheese fest signing of that Amy Grant song. I hear this carol now with humanist ears as an expression of a desire for communion, the desire we feel to be accepted in whatever state we come, saints and sinners, believers and non-believers, so that we can all rejoice and be grateful together at Christmas.
crashed and burned, huh, Mav? Slider. You stink. Let's go! Okay, I This is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. If you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Come on, man. 47. Now we can get them. They're animals. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.